Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for joining me. I'm really glad to share this time with you today and each week. At Valley View Friends Church, we're learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org, or you can look us up on Facebook. And I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. There's a story of a Sunday school teacher who had just finished her lesson and she had wanted to make sure that she had made her point. So she asked the question, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? There was a short pause and then from the very back of the classroom, a small boy, he spoke up, he raised his hand and then he just spoke up and said, well, we need to sin. Oh, that's probably not the answer that she was hoping for. And certainly there must be a wrong to be able to receive forgiveness, but we shouldn't go creating problems just to get forgiveness. The last few weeks we have been talking about forgiveness. We've been looking at it. Uh, Humans have a need for forgiveness. We need to receive and we need to give forgiveness. To fail to do so is to live in a relational prison. Jesus repeatedly connects your ability to receive forgiveness with your ability to give forgiveness. Do not ignore this. Last week, I shared Timothy Keller's four steps of forgiveness. That is to truthfully name the wrong and its consequences, to empathize with the wrongdoer because we're more alike than we're different, to cancel the debt, and then finally, to reconcile the relationship. God has walked through these steps with the entire human race, naming our sin, having compassion on us, paying the cost himself on the cross, and now ready to reconcile with you if you would just receive Jesus into your life. Today, I want to take a few moments now and speak about the barriers to forgiveness. And there are many. We can only cover a few. When I started this series, several of you approached me right away after that first message with questions that all had a theme to them. And it went like this. What if that person would hurt me again? What if they don't acknowledge their part? What if the pain is too old or too ingrained? What if, what if, what if all these different reasons that could get in the way of forgiveness? Each of those... Each of those questions highlight a type of barrier to biblical forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We yearn for it. But those barriers, they look dangerous. They look risky. And they look downright impossible. Thank goodness we have a Lord through whom all things are possible. We have Jesus who has broken the bonds of sin and purchased perfect forgiveness for anyone who would receive. The Christian is now called to practice that forgiveness towards others. And thankfully, we're not left on our own to do it. So we're going to talk about barriers to forgiveness today, and I need you to hear that barriers to forgiveness, they can choke out relationships, and they can threaten the joy of life. These barriers must be addressed directly, judiciously, and without delay. The good news is many of these barriers are in your control. You can handle them. 
The bad news is, is some of them can only be addressed by the other that you're in conflict with. But the best news is that God has handled the barriers that are impossible for you and me. He's taking care of those ones. I want us to read the parable of the unmerciful servant one last time. I know this is the third time we've read it. You're probably tired of hearing it. I encourage you not to tune out that story. I know it's third time you're going, I know this story now, Pastor Josh, what could we possibly get from it again? But I encourage you to listen to it again. And this time, listen for the barriers that try to stand between in front of forgiveness. There's a barrier of pride. There's a barrier of anger. There's a barrier of selfishness. There's a double standard in this parable. There's a lot of barriers. We're not even going to cover them all in the sermon, but I want you to listen for them. And the greatest barrier of the story is that the unmerciful servant doesn't know his king. And that's a warning for all of us. We need to know the heart of King Jesus. So let's read the text. It's from Matthew chapter 18. Yeah, we're there again, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That story still gets me and the ending still terrifies me a little bit. The father will treat each of you this way unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So I want to talk about barriers to forgiveness. And the first one I'll mention is keeping score. Three times I've read this parable to you and have addressed and have yet to address the question that Peter asks at the very beginning of the story. Peter is addressing the struggle 
of forgiveness. It's a barrier. Sometimes we forgive someone and they turn around and they wrong us again and again and again. Peter wants to know what the limit is. How many times is enough? To his credit, Peter's actually being pretty gracious. The common teaching in Israel at the time was to forgive someone the same offense three times. At that point, it was thought you had shown sufficient mercy, sufficient patience. You've done your duty. Peter suggests more than twice the amount, seven times. Should we forgive them seven times, Lord? That sounds like a perfect number, doesn't it? Jesus, however, responds with even more. The English version I read today, the NIV, said 77 times. Other translations will read it this way, 70 times 7. For the more mathematical among you, that's 490 times. It's a lot of forgiveness. The simple way to interpret such a number is that Jesus is is saying, forgive as many times as it takes, or to forgive infinitely. And thank goodness, this is what the Lord does for you and for me. He always has room for more forgiveness. The convicting way to read these numbers on forgiveness is this. If you're keeping count, then you're not really forgiving. If you're sitting here going, you know, I've forgiven that person who's wronged me 67 times. I hope this is the time that'll take. You probably haven't really forgiven. You're keeping track of the score. And that just grows the wound. There's a story about James Garfield, President of the United States. He was elected in 1880, but six months into his office, he was shot in the back with a revolver. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger to try to find the bullet, but he couldn't find it. So he tried a silver-tipped probe. He still couldn't locate the bullet. For the next three months, teams of doctors tried to locate the bullet, probing the wound over and over The president hung on through July, through August, but in September, he finally died. Not from the wound, but from infection. The repeated probing, which physicians thought would help the man, eventually killed him. And I would say it's the same when we try to keep score, keep track of sins or of the times we have forgiven. When you're keeping score, you're only going to grow the wound. Don't keep Score, But the question is, is how do we do that? I love Jeremiah 31, 34. It's a great verse of the Bible and what it says about God's forgiveness. It says, uh, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then here's what it says about God's forgiveness. It says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. When God forgives us, he forgets our sins. My problem is uh, I remember the wrongs done to me. Ever have that struggle? What are we to do? What do you do when you can't forget? That's a barrier to forgiveness. And here's what it takes. It takes a decision to say, I'm not going to let the memory of sin or hurt become the basis for our relationship. I will not let memory define my ability to express biblical love to you. I will not let that memory define your value as a person made in the image of God. It takes that sort of decision. 
I'm not going to let this define me or you or our relationship anymore. It's a story of a couple married for 15 years, and they began having uh, more than usual disagreements. They wanted to make their marriage work, and they agreed to an idea. I don't know why this story says the wife. Don't get mad at me for this. But the, the story says it was the wife's idea, so let's go with it. She had an idea. For one month, they planned to drop a slip in a fault box. The boxes... Um, would provide a place to let the other know about daily irritations. So every time somebody got upset about something, they, they dropped it in the box. The wife was diligent in her efforts and approach, leaving the jelly off the top of the, the lid off the top of the jar, uh, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, on and on and on until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the month, they exchanged boxes. Doesn't sound like a good idea, but this is what they did. The husband opened up the box and he read every single one of those and reflected on the wrong that he had done. Then the wife opened her box and began reading and all the slips of paper had the same thing written on them. I love you. I love you. I love you. Refusing to keep score is not easy. But it stops me and it stops you from probing the wound. It's a decision to see a person as more than their sin, as more than the thing they're doing that hurts you. Refusing to keep score takes away that barrier to forgiveness. Another barrier to forgiveness is pride. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. That's Quite a quote there. Proverbs 13.10 says, Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. The unmerciful servant in this story that we read today from Matthew 18, he is full of pride. He thought he could run up such a big debt and that nobody would notice or that he'd pay it back somehow. I mean, somehow he thought he could do this and he'd get away with it. But 10,000 bags of gold was more than any one person could handle. Like we said in the past here, it's 10,000 years wages. There is pride behind that debt. And in our pride, we often tell ourselves that, yeah, I'm in control. I can handle this. And our pride often obsesses over honor and power and position. And pride refuses to make room for forgiveness. Psalm 10 verse 4 says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, meaning the Lord. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Very few of us would say that we should be prideful, but we are far more prideful than we'd like to admit. Whenever we feel like we've got to keep face or that we are disrespected, pride is often there. And pride is often unmasked by the urge to preserve yourself or stick up for yourself. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Now, in our story today, the unmerciful, unmerciful servant, he's just flat out selfish. His only concern is... He's only concerned about forgiveness as far as it can save his skin. 
he doesn't really care about his debt to the king. You never get a sense that he feels bad about the debt. And he does not care about the life of the other servant who owes him a hundred silver coins. Pride will keep you from caring for others and from yourself, caring for yourself the way you should. Pride is a self-inflicted prison. Do not be a person who would rather live in conflict, who would rather let the closest to them live in pain, who would choose misery than what is good for you, because your pride won't let you bend an inch. Do not let pride be a self-inflicted barrier to forgiveness at work in your life. Another barrier to forgiveness uh, is a group here. It's undisciplined emotions. The unmerciful servant is ruled by a few emotions in the story. First, there's fear when he's confronted with his crime, when he's caught. That fear keeps him from understanding the king's forgiveness because fear pushes him into survival mode. He's begging for forgiveness. He, he just wants to get away from the danger. And so he can't see that the king is the one who's getting rid of the danger. The king is offering a cancellation of the debt. Emotions are good and wonderful. Don't get me wrong. God has given us emotions, but emotions are unhealthy when they rule our lives in place of God. Fear is good, but not when we live in it. Fear is a terrible master. There's a German proverb that goes like this. Fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. And so many of us let fear bar the way from forgiveness because fear has created a monster that you're running from. It's not really that bad. The unmerciful servant is also overrun with anger. We can see this when he goes to his fellow servant. He tries to choke him. His anger is just eating him alive. There's another quote I love. Be careful with hate. It's easier to start hating than it is to stop hating. Emotions are powerful. They're given to us by God. But when you let emotions become your master, they'll become a barrier to forgiveness, and those emotions will imprison you. Another barrier to forgiveness, and this is the one that's hard, is when the other person in the conflict refuses to acknowledge the problem. This is probably the most painful part of practicing forgiveness. That's when the other person refuses to admit that maybe they're wrong, Or they refuse to recognize your efforts to make things right and to seek mercy. And when that happens, the pain is very real. It's a pain of recognizing that in this moment, things are now out of your hands. There's a limit to now what you can do to fix the problem. I wish I could tell you, you know, six easy steps to getting the other person that you're in conflict with to want to reconcile. But I can't. I can only echo what I shared last week, and I want to share it again because I think it's so important for for us to understand. You are the only one that you can control in restoring relationships. If the other does not care, if the other does not change, if the other seeks only selfishness, there is nothing you can do. In the parable of the unmerciful servant, the king cannot make the unmerciful servant want to restore the relationship, but the king does everything possible to reconcile. The king makes sure that he is ready 
and you had better do everything possible on your part to make sure that you are ready for forgiveness to happen. And that's the biblical example that we are given in God. God has not waited for us to be ready to work out forgiveness. God has named the truth of sin. He's named its consequences. He has seen us, the human race, as sinners. He's taken our perspective. He has pity on us. And now he's canceled the debt by the power of Jesus on the cross. And God will restore and reconcile his relationship with you. But that part depends on you. A person who refuses to work through forgiveness at least they're part of it. It's heartbreaking. But don't let them, the other, if they're refusing to do their work in forgiveness, don't let them become a barrier for you in doing your part in the practice of forgiveness. The last barrier I would mention today is the most important one, because there's a lot of barriers to forgiveness more than we can even name here. But not knowing the king is the biggest one. Not knowing King Jesus, who purchased forgiveness for you on the cross, that's the biggest barrier to practicing forgiveness in your life. John Stott described very simply and very powerful what sin and salvation are. I just love this quote. Sin is man substituting himself for God, while salvation is God substituting himself for man. And that's what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. He took our place. He bore the weight of our sins so that you and I could be forgiven. If you've not received this forgiveness from Jesus and declared him to be Lord and Savior over your life, today is the best day to do so. I encourage you to do that, to receive him. Now, much of this sermon series on forgiveness has been found and started in Timothy Keller's book, Forgive. It's a fabulous book. I would like to share another excerpt of that book with you today. It's a little bit longer, and I'm going to break it into two parts here. And uh, it starts with this. Keller's writing about uh, how important it is to understand both the love and the fury of God, and he recounts this story. He says, after service, worship service years ago, a woman came up to me and told me how narrow she thought my whole sermon was. I said, why? And she said, well, because of this whole idea that you have to believe that Jesus died. I believe in a God of pure love who loves everybody no matter what. Jesus didn't have to die. He loves everyone. As gently as possible, I asked, what did it cost your God to love you? And she said, well, I guess nothing. And I answered that if you don't believe in a just God who must punish sin, you don't have a sense of what it cost Jesus to love us. He had to somehow take that infinite, eternal punishment into his own being in our place. I love that little quote there, that that bit of story. And in our text today, the unmerciful servant had no idea the cost of what the king absorbed for him. He had no idea of the love that the king had for him. The result is is that he had no ability to absorb the debt of a hundred coins, silver coins owed to him. And he had no ability to love this other servant that had wronged him. You can only forgive others as much as you have received forgiveness from King Jesus. You need to know Jesus 
if you're going to have any hope of forgiving those who have wronged you. I want to go back to Timothy Keller and read a little more. He continues and he says, God, because he was holy and loving, gave us grace. Because he's loving, there's free, 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 free grace for us. But because he's holy, it was costly grace, infinitely costly grace. When I know that I am the recipient of this kind of costly grace, when I know Jesus went to hell's heart for me and was loving and obedient for me there, that's what changes me. That's tears. That's amazement. That's exhilaration. That's galvanizing. It changes me at the very same time. On the one hand, it humbles me out of my pride and self-centeredness, and it, and it affirms me, on the other hand, out of my infer- inferiority and self-pity. It makes me hate my sins because it led to his death, and it forbids me to hate myself because he did it for me to make me free. That's knowing the king right there. And I hope that you would know King Jesus in that way. That you would hate your sins because those sins put Jesus on the cross. But that you would love yourself because Jesus went to the cross because he cares about you and wants you. Don't let the barriers win. In the end, these barriers to forgiveness are very real, and they're often justified, and you will be tempted to turn these barriers into a protective fortress. I am never letting myself get hurt like that again. How dare they do that to me? I'm going to prevent it. But if you do that, what looks protective will become a prison, robbing you of life and freedom. You must tear down those barriers and you must let King Jesus into your life. Only in knowing Jesus can you find forgiveness for yourself and forgiveness for others. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is simply that we would know Jesus. Whether we're meeting Jesus for the first time right now or we're coming back as a longtime friend, I ask that you would show each of us anew the cost of what Jesus did upon the cross for us. Help us to see that holy love is expensive and demanding and precious. Lord, help us to be more and more like Jesus, especially in the task of forgiving those who've wronged us. I pray for the person listening right now who needs the freedom of forgiveness. Perhaps it's from a conflict they have with a loved one. Lord, I pray that you would begin a new work in that relationship right now. Let the power of your forgiveness bring health and life and freedom to them in this day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.